Well, hello. No, I <laughs> honestly, I listen, to, I listen I, to these podcasts, and I hate the way that I open these podcasts. Like sometimes. No, I always laugh at something you say because I just don't expect it to happen so quickly. It's funny because I think I listen to other podcasts and I try to remember how they start, but honestly, I have no idea. So, all right, here's the podcast. Um, okay, I'm Rob. Oh. <laughs> I'm Geraldine. And I'm so excited that we're talking about, like, a piece of literature. Well, that might be generous. Well. <laughs> because, and that's not really supposed to be shade, but it's been a minute since we talked about a, a book. And for some behind-the-scenes tea, I literally just finished the book, like, closed the book, and texted Geraldine, okay, I'm done, let's do this. <laughs> like, And I finished this book, <laughs> let's look at it, the actual I think it was stand. before we... June 11th. Before I, we graduated college, so, or way, I mean, before I graduated, maybe you graduated in May, I don't remember. Um, This book is... Uh, deserves a trophy because it broke me it officially is a book that just made reading unappealing to me and I entered like a four-month drought of not wanting to pick up a book but unfortunately I also started a book podcast actually I did read a book in the past four I did read books in between this book um and now but we were supposed to have reviewed this back in the summer like pride month um, what a month that was. <laughs> um, and since then, what are the seven deadly sins? So there's pride, wrath. It's oh my god, I feel like you asked every time because it's just been wrath. It's just been gay fury. My life has not been going well. I mean, it's going just fine. But now that this book is over. Oh my god, it's so much better. Um, we chose this book because, well, it's probably pretty obvious. Geraldine, would you like to say the title of the book? <laughs> 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 we are talking about boyfriend material today and we chose it because it was sort of sold and marketed as like the boyfriend material it's like on the well that's the vein. title love as red white and royal blue and it's funny because actually earlier today i was talking to a friend about um the trend in like romance book covers right now and like how they all have the same style like you walk into the bookstore and it's all like the same illustrator on adobe illustrator doing that ugly vector design it's horrendous so this book is by alexis hall <laughs> who is a queer baddie um and Ooh. well i can't say all that who knows i mean they're into top hats and like unicorn illustration from just from their twitter so I mean, I could tell from reading the book, but this cover, anyone who wants to pick up a beautiful copy of Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall, it is literally the most pointless cover in the whole world because just in case you were worried that the book didn't take place in London, you've got the Big Ben, you've got the Ferris wheel, you've got an umbrella, a tour bus, the British flag, the whole thing itself is designed in the, what's called the Union Jack. And I don't know, I think this is maybe what you're trying to say, Geraldine, like something about having two illustrated characters of two boys on the cover. Like my roommate walked in the, to the room, to my living room today and was like, why are you reading that book again? 
I'm like, because I'm not done with it. She's like, but didn't you already read that months ago? I'm like, no. She's like, I thought it was your favorite book. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That's red, white, and royal blue. And I think it's because <laughs> there's, there is something about this cover that is just so generic to a point where it's just, just what people are doing now. Like, this is just the vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Which, first of all, Look at the Japanese cover of Red, White, and Royal Blue. It's just, like, so much better. Ooh. Oh, my God. I mean... They're, like, hot. Yeah, but I think, like, the thing, like, <laughs> a- I mean, we all know that, like, anime knows how to draw hot people. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> like, that's simply what anime is. Gay anime things. Last night, Lauren forced me, forced me against my will while I was making my salmon bowl to watch a clip with her of this gay anime. Should I ring her in? Because I almost want to know what it was called. Which I one have is no it? idea. Was it an actually a gay no, anime? No, truly. It was like the characters were... No, 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 no. It has a special name for it. Like gay anime genre has a certain name and it was a... Uh, do you know? Yaoi? Maybe Yaoi. I'm not really sure. I kind of tried to block that out of my brain because all I know is that the plot revolved around two grown men who did a commercial together when they were children and one of them fell in love with the other boy because in the commercial when they were like seven years old the boy was dressed up as a girl so he spent his whole oh, life thinking I've, that this yeah. yeah and Lauren Lauren Quinn maybe I should I've leave her name this. out because I don't know if she wants us on record enjoys this anime um this is from like 2012. Yeah, though. and first of all, whoever wrote it needs to be chained up somewhere, like underground. Like they should not be allowed to see sunlight. It literally glorifies like all of the most terrifying sexual predatory stereotypes about the gay community. Like this scene I watched is just full on a sexual assault where he rips the clothes off of the other person to see yeah, if they literally have about. a penis. And then like one of them is like six feet tall and the other one's like a baby, but they're like 18, but they're like four feet tall and they're like, hi. And it's just terrifying. Anyway, why are we talking about this? Oh yeah. But this book takes a lot of (laughs) notes and moments from, at this point we've digested two melodramatic gay rom-coms on this podcast. And because I'm biased of course, I went into this book with really low expectations. But is it self-published? Yes or no? No. Because who published it? <laughs> and why? Well, so this author does have some self-published books, but I think this is their first represented book, I okay. think. Well. Uh, it says Source Books Casablanca. Don't know what that is. Why don't we just <laughs> set the plot up? So, Boyfriend Material. Similar... In a similar vein to Red, White, and Royal Blue, we have a gay relationship between two men um, that sort of revolves around the trouble of the public eye and what it's like to deal with fame and romance at once. Um, Both characters are troubled in their own way um, by relationships in the past, and it's sort of like an unlikely pairing of, hey, I need a fake boyfriend for a PR situation. Let's get together and see how it goes. And it's incredibly mm-hmm. British, wouldn't you say? It's exceedingly British to the point where it was... I was getting trauma flashbacks from being on Tumblr in 2013. I found it difficult to understand. Like, there were pages of this book... <laughs> Did not know what ...where was I was on. like, I don't even know more than half of what just was said on this page. Like, this author... I will say, I feel like... 
I knew a lot of what was going on. And I knew as I was reading this, because we chose this book to read for the podcast, that I was like, Robert's not going to know anything that's happening. <laughs> like, these jokes aren't going to land. <laughs> but, I, but every time something happened, I like cringed inside because, like I said, me and this author were on Tumblr at the same time. We probably followed each other <laughs> at some point. But I point. just feel like the difference is, is that you've outgrown whatever capsuled sense of humor you had at 13, 12, and 11 maybe, and this person didn't. And that's beautiful. I love the idea of yeah. being young and maybe even nostalgic for something in, in, in the past, but not when it's... I'm reading this book and it's so in direct comparison with other gay rom-coms that are really popular right now. And I feel like this author sort of wanted to bandwagon off of this, you know, not to say the word trope, but oh, okay. Stuck together, forced relationships. It's a fake relationship, but could it possibly be real? And just off the top, I'll just start off. They did a poor job in comparison to other books that we've read. I would say. I do think that like, this is an example of a book that uses tropes a lot. And it's I, something that this book made me recognize was like the more tropes you use and the less well you handle them, the more it reads like a fan fiction. And I think that's very true about this book. Because we've made entire episodes that we may or may not have to re-upload because of technical difficulties about how we appreciate tropes because they're sort of universal and timeless. And if you're going to write a compelling, especially romance story, you're going to tap into some great tropes. But it's sort of like when you're a little kid and you believe, you know, you watch Love Actually on Netflix with your family or something, or you read the most fun love triangle books that were made for, you know, teenagers, you think that maybe in real life, you know, you can apply tropes and they'll be fun, like a Cinderella story. But the fun part about becoming an adult is when you read really good adult fiction, it's like you, everyone wants to believe that tropes are real, but there's a way to sort of like ground it in reality and make it relatable to adult struggle. And this book is just so relentlessly unrelatable for me because despite the fact that I think that I'm a pretty much can be a deranged mess as one of the main characters is, he's going through a really hard time in his life, depends on partying, alcohol, X, Y, Z. I just feel like I read the same chapter over and over and over again with the same exact conflict arc for at least 300 pages. I don't know how many times I was going to watch the character go to work, complain about his job, leave work, text the other character, get into a fight with them, and then wrap up the chapter sort of like he was breaking the fourth wall. And I don't know if there was like a more like just immature, inauthentic way to handle the story. I wasn't really swept into the charisma of this character at all. And that's why it took me so long to read. Um, and that's just the basis for why I think the book is bad, but we could get into some more specific things. Don't you think? Uh, like what? <laughs> well, do you want to talk about who the character Luke is and who the character Oliver is? Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you remember well from four months ago, what I think this podcast is going to be interesting this podcast is going to be interesting because um, I read this book two months ago, three months ago, which might not sound like a long time, but 
in all honesty, I've read a few books between this and this podcast. So I don't really remember anything. <laughs> Queen. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> we got Luke. We got Oliver. Guess what? They're gay. One of them, the narrator um, of the book, we're supposed to be endeared to him because he's a 28-year-old classic fuck-up. He's sort of supposed to be in the same vein of like, what Lindsay Lohan was going through in 2007. I guess in modern times, the best thing to relate them to would be like a TikToker who went off the deep end because they're circulating in the public eye. Or better yet, like the child of a Kardashian, maybe. Because essentially, they're the child of a famous, famous legend rock star. I couldn't really place who that would be in modern times. Maybe like... Liv Tyler is, like, a famous daughter of Rockstar, and then there's, like, Madonna's daughter, but honestly, they're not that famous. We're led to believe that this person has um, completely captivated the British press, and honestly, one thing that I wrote was, I wish we explored the theme of the British press way more, because what a beast they are. I mean, I think everyone in pop culture knows, if you know anything about the UK is how toxic specifically their tabloids are. And obviously that book, because this is a very British book, they try to pull from that. So he's sort of like a sub-celebrity who is caught up in a string of but horrible scandals. But I also scandals. feel like they, in the UK, will go after anybody. Because remember when, like, Trisha was in the Big Brother house? Like, she was front page <laughs> news. But, like... Yeah, she was. <laughs> Because they're so upset. I think my impression of the UK is that they're just so obsessed with celebrities in a different way than America even mm-hmm. is. You know what I mean? They will yeah. just destroy people's entire, like, psyches and break them down and make them, like, idols, but in a bad way. Right? Because his biggest enemy is himself. <laughs> yes, and it's like, I don't know how many books. I don't my think it would... His biggest enemy is me. Um, and then we have Oliver, wow. who obviously I'm endeared to, and I honestly just want to wrap up the character description because it's pretty one-dimensional. He is the neat and perfect, you know, lawyer. I, a bar- so a barrister is, is, is essentially a defense attorney who, de- who's, who defends criminals. Not So you like, Googled that? I had to Google that. I think barristers actually are just lawyers, but you could either be like a defense or you could be a, a, another um, one. So I think they specifically are like they at least he like represents people who don't have lawyers so he's like what the court of law gives to people who don't have lawyers there's a running joke oh you're putting criminals back on the street oh so you put murderers back on the street and he's like haha no like but i really value law and i value ethics and i value representing people that otherwise people maybe wouldn't want to give a chance so it's that's part of his character i suppose And so there's this idea that because Luke needs to fix up his public image, he's going to look for a fake relationship. This idea honestly spurs out of something really unmemorable. I think someone at work just says, oh, if you can't get a boyfriend, then you should just pay to, you know, you should just get a fake one. And he's like, say, like, you can date me. But then he, I don't know, his coworker character is like very weird. No, (laughs) the coworker character is written like, a character off of Sweet Life and Zack and Cody that got, like, killed off after season one. Like, they're so unfunny and unbearable to where I'm not gonna lie, I low-key skipped the first couple of pages of some of the chapters because they're so pointless to the plot. They have nothing to do with the character development and it's literally just the characters telling knock-knock jokes to each other and it makes no sense. Um, 
And so he goes to date Oliver. And they are just not a match. They are just not a match. It's not working. They're just so opposite. They're, they don't want to touch each other. There's no chemistry. Ugh, what are they going to do? Could they possibly ever fall in love with each other? I don't know. Um, I have no idea. Could I, I would never expect them to. Never. But um, I do want to say that before we get into the obvious plot of the book... There's a lot of things that I feel like it was really missing. Um, Like I said before, I wish that they explored way more of just, like, the theme of the press. But even more than that, like, he's a child of rock stars, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a really interesting... There's really interesting points of view on fame that we all know. Like, we love to read about the rising star who has a fall from fame or a family that's been ruined by someone who is famous, something like that. But because this book comes off as so one dimensional and focused on this romance that just feels so flippant. And I wanted to get more into the psychology of the character himself and not just endless chapters of one dimensional jokes and just like, you know, I think they went on a first date like four times. Like they just went on dinner dates for like a hundred pages. I wrote on my notes, because I actually picked a pen out of my bag and ink got all over my hand while I was reading this a couple days ago. And I was like, honestly, if my pen exploded and ink leaked all over like a hundred pages in the middle of this book and they became unreadable, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> like if you couldn't read the middle 100 pages and you just skip them or something, you'd get the same story. Like mm-hmm. there's no reason to read more than half of the book to get the nuts and bolts. Well, because like... I think this is why, specifically, one of the reasons why it really reminds me of fan fiction, and there are many, but when you read a long-running fan fiction, which I don't know how much experience you have, um, but when you... Almost none. They've been written about me, but even those I have not read, even those I actually truly have not read. But when you read really long fan fiction that goes on and on and on, it stops making sense and it feels like and it's also the same thing that happens to like tv shows that go on and on and on where the original purpose is dissolved just so that they can do more episodes and make more money you know it just feels like you're prolonging it for no reason at all Reading this book felt like you had to make a giant pitcher of Kool-Aid and you accidentally put like three times the amount of water and then you still had to drink it for dinner or something. I don't know. And you're just drinking like watered down Kool-Aid. Like it went on and on and on and it slowly just tasted more and more like water. It loses its Yeah. And I love water. Oh. Period. Everyone knows I'm addicted to water. But but as soon as a drop of crystal light gets in there... (laughs) It's not water anymore. (laughs) And this book just couldn't be Kool-Aid. It just couldn't be Kool-Aid. There's a running subplot in this book that, um, because for some context, Luke is just so fucked up. And this isn't, this is a real, some real drama. His father abandoned him when he was three, but he's also incredibly famous. He, I think honestly, they were, I, again, in my mind, I'm trying to picture who's like a really famous legend rock star that today would be like a coach on The Voice. Because that's sort of like what he is. Mm-hmm. He's like a coach on a singing competition. And I, I guess I thought of like Steven Tyler, who was on American Idol, you yeah. know. But he doesn't have a relationship with his son, but because he recently has gotten like a cancer diagnosis... He decides that it's time to um, make up some lost ground with him, even though he hasn't seen him. But in the thing years. is, this happens 
out of nowhere, sort of, because you know that they're supposed to meet up sometime in this novel, but you're reading, you get like 200 pages in and they haven't met yet. 300. And then all of a sudden you get this scene, maybe two scenes, and then it's over. (laughs) There's like no depth to, to that relationship at all, which was, could have been a really interesting part about this book. When I talk, when I was saying that I would prefer more insight onto life as the child of a celebrity, I really meant that I wanted to see this character go through a transformation of not only getting to know his dad again, but sort of healing over the trauma of There's not only have you absolutely no healing whatsoever in this book. Oh, zero. Oh, zero. And I was digging. I, I have no I was digging for what the author's message was supposed to be. But if we're really going to outline it in three quick bullet points, the dad gets cancer and reaches back out to the son. Okay, good. So now we know this book is going to be about not only, you know, learning maybe about himself by getting a boyfriend. And obviously we all know that they're going to fall in love with the end or something. But he's going to heal his relationship with his dad. And it's going to be rocky. Two, they meet up for some little superficial thing that ends up being a cute turning point because we have Oliver stand up for Luke and it mm-hmm. makes him realize, wait, maybe this boy really cares about me because he dragged my father when my father was being an <laughs> asshole to me. And then after subsequent sad events where Luke and Oliver are no longer together, he meets the dad for like a beer for like five minutes. And the dad's like, you know what? This was fun, but um, I'm never going to say I'm sorry for what I did. Cause I don't believe in saying sorry. And no matter what you need from me, I'm never going to give it to you. I just am dying. And I feel like I'm forced to know you. So we'll do this again. Bye. And then in the last 20 pages, the dad finds out he doesn't have cancer and stands up his son for the dinner date and is like, and I guess it's implied that he told Luke's mom, oh, I'm done with him. Because then Luke goes to the mom and it's like, uh, dad didn't come to dinner. And she's like, oh, my love, like, he doesn't have cancer, so he doesn't want to talk to you ever again. And that's the end of the book. <laughs> like, there's no resolve. That really and that's speaks w- to, like, the immaturity of the author, I feel like, where the author hasn't been able to go through some sort of healing in their life, so they're projecting it onto these characters. And it, I guess it's supposed to be seen as, like, something a little different, unique and edgy, a different, like, well, life is all... Not everything happens the way you think it's going to happen or end up in, like, a pretty bow or whatever. But, like, how bleak <laughs> and... Also, like, inconsequential to the book, even. That's It's what crazy because this whole plot is basically just replaceable because, obviously, the author just needed a reason for this character to be, you know, fucked up. So mm-hmm. he just handpicked a childhood trauma out of the hat. This is what it feels like. Oh, abandonment. But with a twist, because he's a rock star. But, essentially... You took the plot mm. of his father, wanted to get to know him out of the book. It could just be replaced with something else. The father could have been dead. The mom could have been crazy. He could have been abused. It just doesn't matter because there's wasted chapters. I mean, the dad's probably in a total of 18 pages in the book, but him having to get to know his dad is supposed to be this whole impetus for why he needs Oliver and how him and Oliver get closer. But it truly could have been anything. And I just think it's like really lazy writing. And we've read a lot of books like shitty rom-coms where there are pointless arcs, but at least sometimes they're a little bit fun or they wrap up nicely in the end with, oh, that didn't go the way you wanted it to. I mean, we've said on this podcast that we wish characters had died and stayed dead. Mm -hmm. We wish that people had a, a bleak ending, but it meant something to who they are. This dad plot, again, I could have spilled ink over all. 
And sometimes dad plots are really fun. Yeah. I mean, but you could have spilled ink over every single chapter about the dad and I would have gotten the same story because there really isn't that much of a story. He didn't have to show up at all. He could have just been a background like, oh, my dad sucks. So that's why I'm this way. And he will never be in my life. In a way, I feel like that's more potent than having these superfluous like meetings that don't add anything to the plot. I wrote down theme of forgiveness um, because I tried to figure out, is this book, am I trying to read into this book way more than it is, than I should, because I probably am. But there's a quote in the book that Luke says about his dad, and he says, we will never not have a conversation that isn't totally about him, and I think I'm finally okay with that. Because I think he comes to terms with the fact that every time they talk to each other, it's never actually to connect with Luke. It's simply just to tell him something about what he's up to. And be like, I guess this is what having a relationship with a child is like, am I doing it correctly? And Luke is like, no. And he's like, okay. And that's the extent of it. And I think that after everything that he'd been through with Oliver, which at this point in the story, they went from being the two type of, you know, characters that, oh, they're not enemies, but they're opposites. And oh, I'm so clean. I'm so dirty. I'm so organized. I'm such a mess. Wait a second. We kind of like each other. And then they had grown to accept that they did. He was like, you know what? Like, maybe I can let people in. And maybe I can let go of my baggage with my dad. And it will make my life better. That's a cute message. Was it developed? No. Could he have done that in 10 other ways? Yes. Was this dad funny and it, 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 no it was inconsequential but i think maybe it's supposed to say something about forgiveness you know why not right <laughs> do you have anyone you want to forgive um, you'd be the first person on the list if i wanted to forgive you <laughs> um him listening to the dad's oh I wrote down, him listening to the dad's music is extremely confusing to me. Because he got into a yeah. giant fight with his father, who he despises, left the house crying, and was like, I fucking hate him, and got in the car, and Oliver's like, what do you want to do? He's like, I just want to listen to music. <laughs> and then they listen to, like, all of his dad's albums. I'm like, this is fucked. This is so fucked. Like, you, I know he's such a faggot, too, that I know he should be listening to, like, Kylie Minogue or Charlie XCX or literally Chromatica if it had been out, which at the time of this being published, I guess it was. But I don't know the timeline for this book. They don't really even use phones. I don't even know what they do. They don't use social media. Well, of course they text. But there's at one point in the book where he's like, oh, Oliver's screening me. And screening is a term they used in the 90s when you would leave a voicemail and it would come out of the machine That's and you'd I'm hear... That's what I'm saying. The <laughs> like, author has who, no real life screening? experience. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Like, obviously, you've never, like, had a boyfriend, right, Alexis Hall? Or girlfriend. I'm sorry, dude. I don't know. Um, whatever. Because this book is just It feels so dated because they're just regurgitating what other people have written before. Oh, and I will say what I was looking forward to was they didn't want to have sex. Well, well, one, mm. one, Luke really wanted to have sex because his whole character is I'm horny and I'm a mess. And Oliver's whole thing is I'm guarded and I'm sophisticated and I have ethics. So I was really scared that when he got into the first really huge in-person fight with his dad, they were going to go home and fuck, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I was so glad. And I really thought because this book was so stupid that it was going to amount to that. I mean, the smart, small parts of joy that I did find in this book, I have bookmarked. But there was moments where 
you could tell, like, oh, this is where they finally started liking each other. Mm -hmm. And I do like that in a book when you can clearly read in the dialogue and in the moments, like, oh, that's because he likes him. Um, And that was cute. I think there was a pretty natural progression of a relationship. Even though we knew where it was going, you know where every rom-com is going to go. But it felt so bogged down by everything else in the novel that did it matter? I think it was, like, implied later on that... um, What's his name? Not Luke. <laughs> Oliver. Oliver. Oliver Blackwood. Doesn't even know any of I think it was... You're like, like Boy B, the second <laughs> gay guy that got introduced. That... What was his name? <laughs> it was implied that he, like, liked Luke from the very beginning, right? Yeah, they both... They both kind of have that moment later on where... Um, this is a little bit similar, but again, done... in so poorly in comparison to Red, White, and Royal Blue, where they're like, we met at that party a couple years ago, and you Mm. were so fucking rude to me, and, like, pushed me off of you, and told everyone that you didn't like me, so... And that just speaks to their inner self-confidence in both books. Well, this is the twist. Mm. This is the twist. Mm. The twist is, is that the whole book is about fixing Luke, and Oliver is the one being like, you don't realize it, but you push people away. And because this book is narrated literally like through to us, like as if we're sitting in the room and Luke is just telling us the story, he flat out says like, I get too close to people and I'm always terrified that they're going to leave me. So before they can leave me, I push them away. He says that about 18 times in the whole book. And then finally, when he gets to the point in his life where he's like, I'm ready to be with Oliver. Oliver is like, oh, I'm tipping. Um, and that was the, the best part I guess because mm-hmm. you know they basically put a cap on their relationship they say listen we're fake boyfriends so that you can come to my benefit and I can go to your parents anniversary dinner and that's the contract signed sealed delivered and we're never going to actually catch feelings for each other of course they fall deeply in love but after they do their last requirement and check the last box it's Luke wakes up in the morning and Oliver's like yeah I'm getting dressed and uh, we're breaking up and Luke's like, what do you mean we're breaking up? We just admitted that we're in love with each other and we confess all of our flaws and insecurities and I, and I love you. And he's like, but you don't understand. Like, I love you too much for you to leave me. And my biggest insecurity is that because I've had so many failed relationships as well that I'm going to, you know, you're just going to leave so I have to push you away. And I'm like, oh, so the whole time you've been just as fucked up as him. And so I thought that... You know, even though that happened in the last 30 pages, which was a really poor spot for that to be like the emotional, because in the literally the last 30 pages of the book, we get to that point. Mm. I like that that's kind of like the switch up. The switch up. It was written, it was totally fumbled. It was written over the course, like I just said, of maybe 35, 40 pages. And the whole time, there is no tact or mm. like charismatic, fun way. Um, I feel like. I've been talking so much, but do you want, do you have an opinion on this? I will say, I think my favorite parts of the book from what I can remember. (laughs) (laughs) 18 books previously. All occurred in the bedroom. And that's not an innuendo, (laughs) but it's because they were able to like actually talk to each other when they were in their bedrooms where they, and it, you, there was no other distractions, you know? So those were really the best parts, in all honesty. This book killed 
the dinner scene for me. This exhausted Ooh. me with such bad dinner scenes that I there was were multiple. so disappointed. <laughs> there were the whole book is just punctuated eating. by they're constantly eating stop <laughs> eating scenes, and they are all the same and they're all irrelevant. Could you say the same just... about like a bar scene too? Here's the other thing: like bar culture in England is totally different from bar culture in New York. In all honesty, we don't go to straight bars, so we don't know what straight bars in New York are like. But from what it, what I know about UK pub culture, very different. It's scary. There's a oh, I I could imagine it, but like honestly, they didn't really do that. Go to that many interesting places. It's just always random restaurants, and the way they shove in these dinner scenes, because you can't. Everyone knows this. If you're writing a dinner scene, it it thematically means something to the book. So he kind of like, for me, ruined it because it just became so pointless that honestly, it felt like he was getting paid to create characters. Like there's a point where they go to a restaurant and this girl's <laughs> like, hello, I'm the famous chef, Maria Baduba And I'm the famous chef. And this is my, re-. and they name drop this person over and over again. And she has like four pages in the book and then never comes back. And the uh, chapter has nothing to do with Oliver, nothing to do with Luke, nothing to do with the conflict, nothing to do with his job, his dad, anything. And I'm like, is this like a paid cameo? Like, that's how pointless it feels. Like, it feels like they were like, oh, we have to stick in an ad. Like, it's product placement. That's what these scenes... That would be so more impressive like that. if it was actually sponsored. Kind of. I mean, I don't know if this book is even selling, but it feels oh, like product selling. placement. I have just never read a book and thought, oh, this is product placement. I mean, that has to be one of the worst insults in the whole world. Like, a sell, almost like a sellout. Um... Except for the character and the the restaurants are not real. So that's where <laughs> That's just how bad of a writer Mr. Hall is. Oh. Um I have so a list mean. of items. I have a list of items. Write a good book. Oh. Write a good book. And I'll read it for four hundred pages and I'll say I liked it. Write a bad book that takes me four months to read and I'm gonna say I don't like it. <laughs> what why are you looking at me? That's like that? we have a podcast. Okay. Um their group chat is called Queer Comes the Sun, which is then eventually renamed to be the Queer Avengers. Mm. And the sense of humor in the book what is do you just mean? Like really That's bad. what our group chat's called right now. <laughs> Actually, the you Queer know Avengers what? or Queer Comes the Sun? <laughs> I dare you right now to go and change the group chat name <laughs> and then get and then subsequently get removed from the group Wait, chat. Wait, I'm going to do it right now. Else. Let's see how long it takes. Well, I, I would have to type something too, right? <laughs> no, because it, it will say Geraldine changed the group chat name. I'm not on my phone. so How do you spell Queer Avengers? Just Queer like, and then Avengers. Like that? <laughs> That's really... Um, yeah. <laughs> the picture of Natalie. Is the Let me get my... Because no, you don't, you don't get a... Um, notification when you just change the name <laughs> you do you do yeah like a red I dot did. oh no actually i didn't but i'm in the group chat right now and it says gerald has named the conversation queer vendors well then i have to say something like <laughs> you're probably wondering why i gathered you here <laughs> <laughs> just just type assemble <laughs> Wait, okay I want like a live reaction. We'll see how long it takes, but it's probably. Na- I know Natalie has seen this. 
don't know about the I other know. two yet, but. <laughs> um. Oh. oh. <laughs> I, Natalie says I. I. <laughs> wow! What a great reaction. Well, we gotta we'll talk wait about for this the rest book. of the reactions to roll in. Um, I also wrote. What I was saying before is I think to sum up this book, how hypocritical this book is and poorly written it is, is that the author is so not self-aware or unaware of himself that a character who's an artist says to another character, art is not about making people believe stuff because you tell it to them directly. And I personally feel like he is so guilty of that throughout this entire book. Because at the end of every single chapter, after he has a fight with Oliver, Luke is just like, and that's when I realized that as a person, my flaw is I have trust issues. And I realized that from the trauma with my dad is that I push people away. And I'm like, oh my God, like we got it. Like I'm not that dumb. Like I can figure it out through other characters' actions. And that's why... You know, I just think punctuating your story unnecessarily with almost breaking the fourth wall. Like, there are not good sex scenes. I want to read sex. This is a gay love story. One of the sex scenes literally ends in, we're unbuttoning our shirts and we're touching each other. And you know what? I don't have to tell you because this is just for us. Okay? What the fuck? Is this like Barney? I don't know what's going on. Like, it just comes off so Nickelodeon. Like, why are you breaking the fourth wall for me? It's just ugly. It's so ugly to me. Also, I wrote Iraq, question mark, question mark, page 257. What's happening? (laughs) Because they said something about Iraq that I think was probably out of pocket. (laughs) Interesting. Like... They make really bad jokes. Like, I think someone called someone, like, a fucking tart. And they're like, oh, my God. Like, why are you being so serious? This isn't Iraq. And I'm like, why are we doing that here? I don't know. Am I hypersensitive or something? I don't know. I don't know. But the book was great. Um, (laughs) Were you entertained? No. And that's the thing. It's like, I love shitty books, kind of. But do you remember the ending? Like, do you even remember the ending? That's a good question. Um, I barely remember anything. What well, kind of just ends on a flat line? Like, mm. it just... Well, here's the thing. The second book is coming out. Summer 2022. There's a sequel? It's called Husband Material. No. Do you want me to read the synopsis? <laughs> Wanted. Yes. One, parentheses, very real. Husband. Nowhere near perfect, but desperately trying his best. In boyfriend material, Luke and Oliver met, pretended to fall in love, fell in love for real, dealt with heartbreak and disappointment and family and friends, and somehow figured out a way to make it work. Now it seems like everyone around them is getting married, and Luke's feeling the social pressure to propose. Why would Luke propose <laughs> Because they don't get into the sex enough, but, like, Luke is the bottom. Because Oliver's, like, six foot five, and Luke is, like, five foot seven, right? Interesting. Is that how you picture them? Because that's how I picture them. I don't picture them simply. (laughs) The rest of this synopsis is, but it'll take more than four weddings, a funeral, and a bowl full of special curry to get these two from I don't know what I'm doing Uh. To I do, 
Good thing Oliver is such perfect husband material. So it's going to be like endless chapters of annoying weddings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're probably going to get more sex scenes, though. Maybe we'll find out. <laughs> I don't know. The shelf life on this book, it's like page one. It was already expired. So I'm like, the fact that you have the gall, the audacity, and the gumption to write this book, and that's a reference to Drag Race UK, season two, the best season of Drag Race. Um, fuck that. Burn it. All right. Um, Geraldine, I love you. Mm. <laughs> this is just like I can't Ruby. let myself love you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so reading this book, what I think I realized is that you push people away uh-huh. because you have trust issues. Exactly. Uh, I like when the mom says, do you think you I raised you in a secret lesbian fuck palace? I liked that part. Yeah, because yeah, um, just say yes. Yeah. I liked, I didn't really like the mom. She wasn't funny, but she was like this She was like, supposed to be like the in. French Adele. <laughs> That's what they described her as, I remember. I really don't recall that. I blocked that right out. <gasps> Um, oh, because she was also a singer. Yeah. I thought of her more as like a elusive rock star who has one really great album that then disappeared. I thought she had like one song. Maybe. (laughs) So then it's not Adele. I don't know who it is. (laughs) She doesn't. I don't know. Um, But she's really like, she's like the mom who like has like vomit mouth and she just never, she always talks about the most inappropriate things and she like loves drag race. Like Bianca de Rio's in this book. Oh. <laughs> love that. I forgot that they talked about drag race. I love that they like illustrate three episodes. They tell you the challenges, who's on the screen. Like we go through the first three episodes of drag race season six. Maybe this is really dated. Like, I don't really know. Um, when this was written, maybe it was written like 10 years ago and they just thought now it's time to get this printed. I'm telling you, it's it inspired me to It's actually sort of in- embarrassing Yeah. to write about drag race now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Unless if you're being the most cynical person in the world, because this book lacks a lot of, for such cynical characters, there's no cynical sense of humor. No. It's not a satire at all. It, and it doesn't have to be a satire. It's supposed to be a rom-com, but it's not self-aware. And for me, if I'm going to read about two, you know, super privileged, wealthy, famous white people in the public eye, especially in the fucking UK... It better be able to be like a little bit like dark or something. You know what I mean? Like, what does the UK have, have to, to do with this? <laughs> because fuck the UK. <laughs> I don't know. Like, fuck them. No one cares about them. Like, and I mean, I had a little bit of a crush on Oliver, but that was the point. He's supposed to be the perfect boyfriend, and guess what? He is. Oh, and the perfect um, husband. So. Yeah, maybe we will read it. I mean, if I mean, I'm gonna see. read it. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. I'll let you know. I my last note is dot dot dot. So many typos because there are so many typos in this book. That's why I thought it was self published. And when we all know if I put out a book, there'd be endless typos. But guess what? I'm not an author. Yet. So. Yet. Um. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Closing argument? Barrister? Um, 
I'm going to read the second book. Follow me on Goodreads. Do, do barristers <laughs> wear wigs? I don't know. I'm Googling it. Because I was so confused. Do barristers still wear wigs? So they do. Like, I fully think they were alluding to the fact that Oliver goes to work and, like, wears a wig. Do barristers still wear wigs in 2020? Today, both judges and barristers wear wigs, but each has their own style. Ooh. Courtroom wigs are white, often handcrafted out of horse hair, and can cost thousands of pounds. Judges used to wear long, curled, full-bottom wigs until the 1780s, okay? When they sw- I don't know who had the record of this. When they switched to lace fronts. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Smaller bench wigs. It's like they wear um, the wigs by vanity. Uh, they're in the Courtney. Um... Anyway, if you know Wigs by Vanity. Oh, I, I, there are far better books talking about fame and love in the public eye. And uh, in comparison to the other ones we've read, it was a failure. <laughs> so this one's a drag. Love you guys. I um. Oh, my God. You got to stop saying I love you to people I you don't mean it, so it to. Many times. <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> I mean it always. Uh, Lauren Quinn, I love you. She's going to come in the room and just be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, this has been Rob. This is Geraldine. Oh my God, Lauren Quinn just texted me. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Good night, guys. Good night. I hope you're all listening to this. I'm stopping the recording right now. I know you're listening to this shrill voice while you fall asleep. Bye, guys. (laughs)